Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Let's pray technology works today. There we go. All right. Um, before, we, before we dive into the Word, I wanted to let you know there's so much in this passage that it could be like three or four sermons, and uh, I'm not going to do that to you this morning. So by way of introduction, I, I wanted to share some things that are important for us to take note of as we read through this passage. <clears throat> so some things to look at as we read through. Uh, first of all, we need to notice the obedience of, of Mary and Joseph. Um, these were Hebrew parents that had just received just uh, wonderful revelation from angels about this son that was being born, and they took him to be circumcised. And so after the eighth day, according to the law, a male in, in, in the Hebrew uh, family was to be circumcised, and, and that's what they did. They took him there. Mary and Joseph were obedient in this way. And another thing to think about in that is why in the world did Jesus need circumcision? Um, because this pointed to a deeper reality that the one being circumcised needed a new heart. Not only that, everybody needed a new heart. And so here Jesus is taking the sign of the covenant as a baby, and we know he doesn't need a new heart. And so this is, what, this is what's happening. What Paul says in Galatians, he says that Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the curse of the law. And so here Jesus is, being obedient from the cradle to the grave and receiving the sign of circumcision, identifying with His people. And then you see, Mary and Joseph, they take uh, Jesus to the temple, and that's the whole setting of, of, of our passage today, is they're taking Him to the temple to present Him to consecrate the firstborn. And this goes back to Exodus chapter 13 where the Hebrews were to take their firstborn and consecrate them to the Lord. And this pointed back to the Passover when the firstborn were passed over. And then we see them offering up sacrifices. So Mary, uh, if, if you read in Leviticus, specifically in, in Leviticus chapter 12, there are these purification laws. And so Mary, after giving birth to Jesus, she had to go and offer a lamb for a sin offering and then a dove or, or a, a pigeon for a burnt offering. And it says in Leviticus 12 that if, if the family was not wealthy enough to, to purchase the, the lamb, that they could present two doves or two pigeons. And Luke, as you see in our passage, or will see in our passage, Luke says that they offered the birds. They didn't offer the lamb. And so we see in this detail that this was a poor family. And the thing that I want you to see, and I think God wants us to see, is the ultimate condescension of Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory. The one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills comes down and he takes the sign of the covenant and he's born into a family that can't even afford the full offering. So take note of that. Mary, Mary and Joseph in their obedience. Jesus and His obedience from the cradle to the grave. 
And lastly, something else to take note of. Remember, there had not been a prophecy in over 400 years. I mean, could you imagine that? As the people of God, and you haven't heard a fresh word from the Lord in over 400 years? I mean, I can only imagine what, what we would do in that situation. It's so easy. Like, we can't wait four minutes for something. But to wait 400 years. And here in Luke chapter 2, or actually in Luke 1 and 2, you read of multiple prophecies. Multiple mentions of the Holy Spirit. Leading people. Guiding people. Speaking through people. This is a new day. This is something amazing that has taken place. And you see the law is mentioned, I think, three times throughout the passage. And then the Holy Spirit is mentioned three times. And commentators say, this is the law and the prophets testifying that this is the one. This is the promised Savior. This is the suffering servant. The one who has come to redeem His people from their sins. And so that's our context that sets up the passage. So let's read God's Word. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read 22 through 40. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light, of a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, and the, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their, own, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray.
Um, dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us these truths. Uh, most importantly, thank you for, for being uh, faithful to your word and sending your son to die on our behalf. Help us to see his glory this morning. We love you in Christ's name I pray. Amen. And so the main thing that I want us to look at today, I want us to look at the, the, prophet, the, or the, the prayer of Simeon and the prophecy of Anna. You know, the time had come, and the Lord is revealing himself to his servants. This is the end-time restoration of Israel that, that was beginning, and it's coming through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the work of the suffering servant, Jesus. And so we're going to see that in Simeon's song and Anna's prophecy. Let's, let's start with Simeon in verse 25. We see, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. I mean, here's a man who's a seemingly everyday average Joe. No offense to the Joes in here, but everyday average Joe. He's not a priest. He's not a Sadducee. He's not a Pharisee. He's not one of the religious leaders, right? And he's in Jerusalem, a place which had become known for religious compromise and religious formalism. I mean, you had the Pharisees who were devoted to their strict interpretation of the law and devoted to the traditions of the elders. You had the Sadducees who were devoted to their strict interpretation of the law and, and their political uh, and social advantage. And they were both distorting the Scriptures to a ruinous end. And those weren't the only groups around. You had Rome, you had emperor worship, you had pagan worship, you had all these things going around. And so think of how easy it would be to lose heart in that situation. To look around you and see everybody else is doing what is right in their own eyes. But not Simeon. Simeon's eyes were laser focused on the promise. You know, you, you gotta you gotta think, um, Simeon probably had Isaiah, you think of Isaiah chapter seven, verse nine. It says in Isaiah seven nine, it says, If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And so Simeon, surely he had that stored up in his heart. And probably this one too, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the picture that we see in this servant of the Lord, Simeon, who was waiting. He was waiting upon the Lord. He was waiting accord, according to the Lord's promise. And sometimes we think of waiting as inaction. And that's, that's not what we see in Simeon's life. His waiting is not inactive, but his life is described as one who, that is righteous and devout. 
He is righteous towards those outside, those around, people, uh, his neighbors, and he is devout in his worship of the Lord as he was awaiting the consolation of Israel. And isn't this what we're all called to? A life of righteousness. A life of devotion to the Lord as we await Him to return. We're not waiting for Him to come the first time. He's coming. We know. But we know He's going to return. And as we're waiting, we're to live a righteous life because we've been saved and a devoted life to Him. And that's what we see in Simeon. And then in verses 25 through 27, we see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was revealing things to him, leading him. And this is that, that, that sign of the end time restoration of Israel beginning as we read, and, and we'll look at it closely in a little bit, but in Joel 2 you see that the Spirit would be poured out. And, and we see a little taste of it here with Simeon because the Spirit is leading him. And it's often, it's easy to, to think that the Holy Spirit was inactive in the Old Testament period or in these days before the outpouring in Acts chapter 2, but the Spirit's always been working. I mean, we see the Spirit working in creation in Genesis chapter 1. You see the Spirit when, uh, would work through kings and prophets and priests and judges throughout Israel. But this was a new day. Something new was coming. There was going to be an outpouring of the Spirit. Remember, the law and the prophets are testifying that this is the Messiah. This baby is the consolation of Israel. In verse 26, we see that the Spirit of the Lord revealed to Simeon that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And can you imagine this moment? The Spirit leads Simeon into the temple at that moment. I don't know what it looks like, but, but I know the Word says it, and the Spirit leads him in there. And as he's coming in, here comes this humble couple. Mary and Joseph with this, this baby. Can you imagine the moment? Day after day, Simeon had probably prayed for the consolation of Israel. He was looking forward to the Messiah. Every reason, humanly speaking, to give up was before him, and yet he did not throw in the towel. He had something greater to hold on to. He had God's very word to hold on to. He was believing God's promises. He had the word of the Lord. And they come in, and Simeon doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't check with Mary to see if it's okay. And as a father, knowing my wife, like some of y'all might have slapped him if he took your baby away. But he takes that baby up in his arms. Mary, Mary didn't, didn't slap him. He takes that baby up in his arms, and he blesses God. In that moment, he said, Lord, now... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. According to your word, you've promised it, and you're letting it happen. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother, Mary and Joseph, they marveled at what was said about him in that moment. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is to be opposed, a sword that will pierce through your own soul, so that the hearts and thoughts of many will be revealed. And so we see in this moment, first off in Simeon's song, we see that he's prepared to die. Like Simeon's ready to go. He says, you know, let, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. 
And you think about it like most of us or most of our world spends our time and money trying to stay alive. Like most of us, you know, we're, we're kind of like Kenny Chesney. I, Richard, he mixes in quotes of songs. He weaves them in great. I think I use the same quote every time. It's a Kenny Chesney song. And it, it, it's because it's so sad to me. This is what Kenny Chesney said. Everybody wants to go to heaven, have a mansion high above the clouds. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. I mean, that's the general consensus of the world. And I, I told y'all, I struggle with this too. There are things that I want to see. I would love to see um, my children grow up, right? I would love to see y'all for a long period of time. You know, I, we get our minds too fixed on the things of this world, but Simeon had his mind fixed on the treasure. The treasure in heaven. He sees the Lord's salvation and he says, I'm ready to go. You know, what is it that can make a person in our day be prepared to die? Like, what is it? J.C. Ryle said, it's faith. It's faith laying firm, laying a firm hold on an unseen Savior. It's faith resting on the promises of an unseen God. Faith and faith only can, able, can enable a man or a woman to look death in the face and say, I depart in peace. No matter how old you are or young you are, like, it's two categories. You're either prepared to die or you're not. And it's not looking within to see what all good things I've done to earn my way, but it's looking out to a Savior, to the hope of Israel, our hope. Simeon was holding in his hands the very salvation of the Lord. James Edwards says that Simeon's reception of Jesus symbolized the ideal hope that Israel would receive and embrace Jesus as the Messiah. But we know, ultimately, that most of them didn't. The Messiah arrived, but his life and his mission would not be easy. It wouldn't be without difficulty pain and strife. There is no salvation apart from the cross. And it's so easy for us in, in, in holiday seasons or really throughout our lives as we read the scriptures and think, yeah, 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 okay, he was born, he died, he rose from the grave. Y'all, he did. He really was born, and he really did live, and he really did die, and he rose from the grave. And he really is the Lord ascended in heaven. And he really will come back for you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's truth. His life would not be without pain, difficulty, and strife. This child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And as you read the Gospels, you see that playing out. Just like what Richard preached a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week, he, he, the, the message of the Gospel 
Um, you, you see people either rising or falling. Either people in, in pride, they rise up against it and they're hardened, or they're cut to the core and they see their sin and they repent and believe. This was promised. You know, many think uh, that, the, that the cross was like an accident. That Jesus was some revolutionary and they sent him to the cross because he was some revolutionary. No, it's promised here that he would be appointed for the rise and fall of many. And that he would be a sign that was opposed. This speaks to the validity of the Gospels. It's truth. He was opposed. I mean, you read through the Gospels and see his contention with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Ultimately, you see at the cross he was opposed because they crucified him. You read through church history and you see people died for this message all the time. You look at our world today. How many people hate Christ, think his gospel is foolish, think we're foolish for doing what we're doing? I used to think you were foolish. I wasn't a Christian. The Lord saved me at 28. I was head, going headlong into hell. I thought you were foolish. And I praise God that you embraced me as a brother now. And I praise God that he saved me. And he opened my eyes to the truth. The proud will be brought low. And the humble will be lifted up and resurrected even. So all throughout history we've seen this. You read through the book of Acts and you see this battle raging on. You go read Psalm 2 and you see that this battle, that, they, that, the, that the world and the world systems were going to raise up against the king, against uh, the Lord and his anointed, against his Christ, and they were going to raise up against him. And we see it happening. Look around us. And what is it, that, that, what is it about Christ's message and about his person that rubs people the wrong way. I mean, you think about it. The Word of the Lord is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It tells us we're not all that in a bag of chips. We're not good. But it doesn't leave us there. It also shows us Christ. You cannot treat a problem unless you, you can't find a cure for the problem unless you know what the problem is. And our problem is sin. And that's why, that's why people hate it. It says in the scriptures that Jesus, the light, came into the world and men hated him because they loved darkness. We got to come to grips with that reality. That's, that's the problem. We hate, or we have hated, or maybe still hating him because he is light. By God's grace, some hear his word and are cut to the core and repent and believe. Others hear it and are further hardened. Many are falling because of the word of the Lord. But praise God, many are also rising. You know, how, let's think of this as well. How kind of the Lord to prepare Mary for what was to come. You know, there was going to be a double-edged sword that would pierce through her heart. Could you imagine seeing... I mean, as a parent, you hate seeing your children suffer. I don't know of any 
greater pain in humanity that, that, to see your child suffer. And in John 19, 25 through 27, it says, Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to, be his, own, to his own home. I'm talking about John. Jesus is on the cross thinking of his mother, and he's telling John, take care of my mom. you got to think in that moment, that's the double-edged sword piercing through her heart as she sees her son pierced on her behalf. you got to think that prepared her for salvation. Maybe if that happened without her knowing that this was going to happen, she would think it's all, you know, um, I don't know, just made up, or that this isn't, this isn't supposed to happen, but she knew. She was prepared for it. She was prepared in some way for that horrible spectacle of Christ being crucified before her eyes. And this is the message. This message of, of the consolation of Israel, of the baby being born to live and to die for His people. This is what fuels people to live the righteous and devout life like Simeon. He wasn't saved by his works. He was believing the promise. And he had seen the consolation of Israel. This is what prepares a man to die. It also prepares us to live. Which brings us to our last section. We're going to look at Anna's prayerful endurance there in verses 36 through 38. You know, as we've already seen, the office of prophet had been out of commission for some 400 years. And you didn't regularly see a woman holding this office, but it did happen if you read throughout the, the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. But that's what specifically is going on, specifically is going on here. In Joel chapter 2, the Lord promised that, that He would pour out His Spirit on all flesh in that day. I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even the male and the female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And this is what we see. We get a man, righteous and devout Simeon, and we get a woman, Anna, spirit poured out. Here we see it happening. And she was a prophetess who is advanced in age. And you've got to think about this. It says in here that she lived with her husband for seven years and then her husband dies. We all in here have lost someone and can know that's a difficult thing to go through, to lose someone, but to, to lose her husband. And then it says, some translations say she lived 84 years after that, so she could have been 100. Some think 84, some think 100. Nevertheless, she was advanced in years and her husband had passed away. She's a widow. A woman who had indeed experienced hardship and heartbreak. Yet she remained steadfast. She remained steadfast after the death of her husband. It says that she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying day and night. And many would look at the life of Anna, I'm sure many in our day could look at a life like that, lived in the temple, praying and fasting, 
and think, what a fool. Live it up. Your husband's dead. Why be committed to this Lord that would do that? But, but, but Anna, didn't, she, she didn't go the way of the world. She continued to be devoted to the Lord. She was waiting for the peace of Jerusalem to come, and here he is, and she sees him. Surely those days of fasting, you know, fasting, people fasted in the Old Testament specifically when, when you know, they were waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. There was turmoil. And so she's praying and fasting. It reminds me of what it says in Isaiah that the Lord would set watchmen on his walls to cry out day and night until he established Jerusalem in this place. She's one of these watchmen crying out day and night, and here she sees the peace of Jerusalem. You know, she was waiting for it, and God showed her the peace of Jerusalem in, in person. Prayers offered according to God's word are effectual. You know, we're not twisting his arm, but we, or God, has ordained our prayers to be used for his ends. And so when we're praying according to his word, that's a means that he he has put into place, sovereignly put into place to accomplish his ends. And this is what we see in Anna. You know, and this this is a great encouragement, I think, to all ages, but specifically those as, as we age, right? We think that we can't do anything for the Lord. We can't do anything great for the kingdom. I mean, I've heard people, people say these things. Our society, I don't, you know, it's really hard to tell what our society values other than self-autonomy. Uh, but we definitely don't value infants and the elderly. Because we have abortion and euthanasia, or it's working towards that way to be on demand, right? We think that when we get older, or when the the people get older, that they're not of very much value. And so if you think that your time has passed and that you can't do anything meaningful, Your prayers are sweet incense to the Lord. If you give a cup of water to one of these little ones, a a, a believer, a brother or sister, the Lord takes notice of that. And it's not just for the elderly, it's for everybody. Like, the Lord, we can do things. We don't have to go turn the world upside down, if you will. Though we do change the course of history through our prayers. If you pray for someone to be saved and the Lord saves them, you change the course of history. Ultimately for His glory. And so we see that in Simeon and in Anna. Two that were so compelled by the promises of the Lord that they were righteous and devoted to Him. You know, this, this Christmas holiday, uh, it's been good. I was telling Cindy out there, it's been good, but it's been hectic, you know? It's kind of crazy, but fun, right? But there's something about, as I'm getting older, um, it's bittersweet. It's good to see people that you haven't seen in a long time, 
But when you see people that you only see like once a year, you realize how old they're getting and how old you're getting. When people, you know, I had a couple people tell me, you need to shave that beard, Josh. It's pretty gray. And, uh, you know, I look at picture. Anyway, so it's bittersweet. You see, you see people that you hadn't seen, but then you see people aging, um, struggling. And this, I had three encounters that I, I felt like it was fitting. I'm going to share it with you anyway, because um, it was important. Um, one of my cousins, he's 57. He lost his wife. Um, she was as sweet a woman as you would ever meet, a Christian woman who has impacted, who knows how many people. I know in my life, she was instrumental in my life. And she passed away after a long, grueling bout, battle with cancer. And, and, and um, she was my cousin by blood, and her husband, he's you know, a widower, he, he's, we, he's still a part of the family. And so we invited him to come spend Christmas. This is his first Christmas without her. And I was just talking to him, and you know, he's, he's talking about how he was struggling. He was struggling to get through, um, but his mind was constantly going back to the Lord. He said, Josh, I've, I've had these questions that I've probably never asked the Lord before, but I'm taking them to him, and I know ultimately, I know that he is right and that he is good. This, this is a man that you see has been, uh, he's compelled by the gospel, right? Through this trial in his life to continue on. But he told me, he said, you know, some people have tried to comfort me, and I know they mean well. He said, but people that I would think are firm in the faith, they just say the craziest things. You know, somebody said, um, you know, I know know your wife is in heaven. I know she's there. I just hope I'm lucky enough to get there too one day. And he's like, Josh, I I would have thought that this person is solid and understands the gospel, that it's not about luck. He said it's about Jesus Christ. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. And so I see that man clinging to the gospel in this, in this hard time. Also, my cousin, another cousin, a lot of them, another cousin who was a missionary in Yemen. She had seen, she's seen so much, and she and her husband, and they're back. They had to come back, had some medical uh, issues go on with their children, and now they're stateside. And her oldest has, I mean, they were just struggling with him. It seems that he may be walking away from the faith, or has. And she, we're just sitting there, and she says, "Josh, heaven's going to be great." You know, this is a this is a forty-five year old woman, and she's like, "Heaven's going to be great." I mean, she's hurting, but Jesus Christ is in her sights. That's who she's got her hope set on. So, in this difficult season, she's not giving up on her son. She's going to love him and care, but, but she knows this is, this is difficult. But she's going to continue on. And then lastly, my grandmother. She's in her 80s. She's lost her husband. I, I think she's been a widow for about seven or eight years. And Mamaw is not perfect. None of us are. But 
she, she is a lady that always points me to Christ. Always, even in my, when I was out there living for the world, she prayed for me. Her prayers were effectual and heard. Her prayers on behalf of my salvation, they were heard. And so I love this lady. But she's, you know, going through COVID, you know, she's uh, the whole, y'all know about all of that, how crazy it's been over the past, you know, couple of years. Um, but there was a time, I think it was about eight months to a year, where she did not go to worship in person. And she said, Josh, that hurt me. I felt like I, I just, I was a different person. You know, she's not, she's not, she's here and preaching on TV, but she said, I want to sit under the Word and observe the sacraments. I, I want to be there. And she's recently kind of edged back in, but I'm saying all this to say, you know, I was able to encourage my grandmother just by what I've seen and hear that, like, though she was at home, she was still praying and reading the Word and holding on to promises. Like, what she was doing was, was helping advance the kingdom in her prayers. And so no matter what stage in life you are, if the gospel has taken a hold on you, then that will compel you to live a righteous and devout life. And so, we're ending, for real. If you have been saved by God's grace, there's great cause for thanksgiving. You know, and you have a message to share with others, just like Anna, when, when, after she saw the, the peace of, of Jerusalem, after she saw the baby, she started telling everybody around her about Him. And if you've been saved, you have great cause for joy and thanksgiving, and you have a message to share with other people. The message that this promised Messiah, he came to earth according to God's word, and he lived a perfect life. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the curse of the law. He was obedient from the cradle to the grave, and he went to the cross. And at the cross, the full force of God's wrath was poured out on him. The wrath that we deserve for our sins was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. And he gave up his spirit. Nobody took it from him. He gave it up and he went into the grave. And then, as the first fruits of this new creation, he arose from the grave and he calls men and women everywhere to repent, to turn from sin, and to believe this gospel. There is a remedy, and it's the gospel. And so this is the greatest message in all of history, one that can't be matched, and one that fuels us for a life, a righteous life, and a life devoted to the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> um, dear Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to worship freely. There are many in this world that can't, can't do that. They can't worship freely, Lord. And so we thank you for that. And we pray for our brothers and sisters that are in other parts of the world that are in chains. Um, we pray for them that you would sustain their faith. Help us, Lord, as we age, as we go throughout this life. Help us to remain steadfast. Help us to live a righteous life devoted to you because of what you've done for us. Lord, please help us. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. 
I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.